Hey, hey, welcome to the Flow and Flourish podcast. This is the safe space where we talk openly and honestly about all the things that can come up as we juggle competing priorities and learn how to put ourselves first so that we can flow and flourish in every single area of our lives. In order to do that, though, I believe that you have to understand the connection between your ability to flow and flourish and your capacity. So I have based this podcast on five different areas of flow that will help you to increase your capacity for sustainable success throughout your personal and professional life. If you are new to the podcast, then welcome, welcome, welcome to your tribe of like-hearted and like-minded women who are here to support you, encourage you, and snatch your edges when you need it, because that's what we do here. Just know that you are in good company and are exactly where you're supposed to be. So keep listening. For those of you who are not new to this, but true to this, welcome back to the podcast. I am so thankful for each and every one of you, and I'm excited to get into today's episode, which is being brought to you by The Balance Booster. Yes, The Balance Booster is my 60-minute intensive coaching session where I help you work through one of those different areas of flow. So whether you are looking to establish or reestablish boundaries, figure out how to grow your business or grow in your career, or really just align your actions to your priorities, the Balance Booster is going to be for you. And you can sign up for one of those and learn all about them anywhere on my social media pages or at my website and of course in the show notes. In the meantime, let's get the show started. Lauren Smith, PhD, is a clinical psychologist with expertise in trauma-informed services. Returning to her hometown of Chicago to provide trauma-informed clinical care at the University of Chicago Medicine, she works with her clients who have been impacted by community violence and other forms of interpersonal trauma. Dr. Smith recognized the dire need for more non-mental health professionals in the community to be better equipped with the knowledge to support healing and wellness within themselves and others. This has helped her to birth her psychology consulting firm, Creating Healing Interventions, also known as SHI, which of course is the nickname for the lovely city of Chicago. Her organization seeks to strategically partner with non-mental health community organizations and educational institutions to provide research-driven, trauma-informed, and culturally responsive training, coaching, workshops, mental health awareness events, and other support to create healing and wellness within the community. Please help me welcome Dr. Lauren Smith to the Flow and Flourish podcast. Okay, Miss Lauren, welcome Hi. to the Flow and Flourish podcast. I'm Thank so you so much you. for having me. Yeah, <laughs> See, I'm excited. <laughs> yes, <laughs> super excited to have you here. I, at this point, have already read your full bio, so they know kind of who you are. But I wanted to let everyone know that I found you on LinkedIn as seeing another woman of color who is in the mental health space. And with you being from Chicago, I didn't even realize you were from Chicago. I knew that I needed to connect with you just to have this conversation. So why don't you tell us 
you know, I guess how you kind of got into the mental health space and then we'll jump into having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, so happy to be here and thank you for inviting me to be on. I think my journey within mental health started pretty early on. I always had an affinity toward working with children and that was like literally my summer job every summer. I worked with young <laughs> children with to the build babies. their skills. <laughs> yeah. And then when I entered high school, I just remember it being this like really pivotal moment. And most people, I think, have like an idea of what they want to be when they're younger. And then that totally changes when they get older. But when I was in high school, I started to really grasp this concept of, okay, I want to work with kids. Like I love working with kids, but in what capacity can I work with kids? So I took an AP psych course and I remember us going to the county jail here. And we had two prisoners speak to us who were serving like X amount of years. I don't remember. In high school, you went to the county? Oh, Lord. I'm scared as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't like a conference room. It wasn't like we went into the jail, actually. But just hearing their stories that were plagued with different stressors, historical disenfranchisement that really led them to their fate, ultimately, was a light bulb moment. But also I remember this distinct experience I had in high school where me and my friend, we used to take the bus. I went to Morgan Park High School. Any MP high people out there? Hello. And I remember me and my best friend, we used to take the bus a lot because that was like our first real like introduction to independence, right? And I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of people going into high school was. And I remember distinctly to this day, like this is a memory that will stick with me. We were taking the bus home one day And a high school near Morgan Park had a bunch of students who I think a lot of people would classify them as bad, but they were just, you know, victims of their environment. And they jumped a boy from a high school right in front of us on the bus. Like they really badly beaten him up. And I remember being so shaken up after that moment where I was like, I don't feel comfortable even taking the bus anymore. And it hit me. Also, later down the line, once I started to have the vocabulary and knowledge to understand what was going on, I realized I was traumatized from that experience. Like, I literally never took the bus to high school ever since then. Like, that was so terrifying. But also, as I started to matriculate through undergrad and grad school to focus on my PhD, I started to see that so many individuals who live in communities of color, especially low-income communities of color, see community violence acts like that one as normal. Like it Mm -hmm. has become normalized and people have become so desensitized to these sorts of events happening where it was really evident to me that this is not normal and that people should not have to endure this. And so throughout grad school, I focused a lot of my efforts on both the clinical and research aspect of things to really understand stressors within communities of color, but also barriers to mental health care within communities Mm. of color and working toward informing more policy changes so that Black and Brown communities more specifically can have better access to mental health care. And over the past year, working at UChicago, completing my postdoc fellowship there, I started to just see a growing need here in the city of Chicago specifically. And that's why I came back because mm-hmm. even though Chicago's home, I moved away for grad school internship and being back in Chicago, I was like, I finally have my PhD. I'm a clinical psychologist. Let me give back to my community. And when working with individuals who are victims of gun violence here in the city, 
helped me to see a just like how dire of a need it is for more behavioral health services in the city, most importantly, accessible mental health services. Mm -hmm. And then I started to think a little bit more about, okay, not every person is going to access mental health services. Mm -hmm. Who are they most likely to come in contact with? People in the community, people at their school, people within after school programs or other community organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started to think about this a little bit more as I have done a lot of consulting specifically with Chicago public schools and curriculum development for trainings for them. I started to think, okay, we need to really refocus our efforts in the mental health field to equip people in the community with more mental health awareness and knowledge and tips and tools to be able to promote not only their own healing, because inevitably in working with individuals who have trauma history, you're going to feel some effects of working with them. But also a lot of people, which I think this is a conversation that's not had as often, they also have their own trauma or mental health background that they Mm -hmm. are trying to cope through while also providing services to children who are going through massive amounts of stress. Mm-hmm. And so that's where my consulting firm came about creating healing interventions shy because I wanted to be able to strategically partner with non-mental health professionals. I think there are tons of great mental health professionals here in the city of Chicago and nationwide, but everyone is not going to come across my desk in terms of referral or other mental health providers. Mm-hmm. And I think even just for me being a clinical psychologist, I struggle finding good mental health care. So I know that other individuals may have a harder time finding quality mental health care as well. So thinking about all those things together, I was like, I really want to do something meaningful and impactful. And that's where Shy came about. Oh my goodness. Girl, you have said so much, (laughs) so many different things in a good way, because I wrote a couple of things down, just even healing from trauma, right? You talked about the stressors, the barriers towards mental health, and really how we normalize trauma. And a lot of us don't realize, and I know we talked about this when we met, you know, kind of brainstorm prior to this recording, but many of us, as you pointed out, carrying our own trauma, right? While we're working, whether it's in school systems, in corporate America, building our own businesses, And we don't realize how desensitized we've become to trauma and we've made it normalized. And so I love that you talk about that. We'll get into that a little bit, but then also, you know, the different barriers to good mental health, right? I posted, I think it was last week about, of course, it being mental health awareness month, but that there are so many reasons why we as women of color, people of color, just people in general, you know, we don't go and seek mental health and some of the reasons why that is. And so I would love it if you could do two things for me. If you could talk a little bit about the impact of not dealing with trauma, because I have been reading this book. I'm sure you have read it or heard of it. The body keeps the score. And so I'd love for you to start with just kind of talking through what happens if we don't heal from trauma. Like, how does that show up in our life? Yeah, absolutely. I think what's important to keep in mind with this conversation is the intersection between physical health and mental health. So people oftentimes think of these two things as separate, but they really go hand in hand. And as a clinical psychologist, one of the main things that I look at when assessing mental health functioning is any deterioration of someone's 
daily functioning, like their ability to be able to carry out daily tasks, such as taking a shower. And that's really critical with even thinking about trauma, right? So if you have one traumatic event, you may be resilient to it, meaning that you can easily recover from that, especially if you have strong support systems in place, other resources to help you heal. But imagine the person who has compounded traumatic stressors. So they're being hit constantly. Exactly. They're being completely hit with numerous stressors on a consistent basis. And what oftentimes happens and what you may notice in those individuals is that they become numb. I remember I worked with a family when I was in California and this mother of one of my clients talked about, she had like a longstanding history of trauma. She talked as if it didn't happen to her. Like she was separate from the traumatic Mm. event. And that happens a lot of time too, where people do something called dissociate, where they essentially just take themselves out mentally out of the situation and their body is still there in order to cope. Yep. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's one of the things that happens oftentimes where that can be, of course, a danger to a lot of people, right? So if you're dissociating, you're becoming so numb to events that are happening in your life, especially scary or life-threatening events that can also set someone up for more danger. But also you start to see a decline within like social functioning with those individuals because there is this disruption in how you regulate your mood and respond to a lot of things. So it could be a lot of disproportionate responses to situations or just the person doesn't seem like themselves. And then that trickles down into social interpersonal relationships because then they might either start to close themselves off to other people or those people are like, this is not the person I once knew. So I need to keep some distance. And then declines in other areas like work functioning or even their ability to carry out those daily tasks, as I mentioned. And sometimes also what I've seen from unhealed trauma is the development of other mental health disorders. Like trauma is not most of the time, the only thing that people are battling with, you start to see some things that may not meet for full diagnosis of depression, but some depressive symptoms because they have irregular moods as a result of the trauma. So those will probably be like the biggest things that you start to notice. Yeah, those are good. I was writing all of them down, of course. So the daily functioning, the social functioning, work, developing other mental health issues. But as you're trying to heal from trauma, all of these other things come up. And I love how you talked about how our mental and physical health are really intertwined, right? When something is going on mentally, it impacts how you're showing up physically. And so I'm loving that you're sharing how to bring awareness to that. And I'm hoping that even as we talk through this, you can maybe even give us some tips on how to kind of navigate that. Before that, though, I want to talk about the barriers to mental health. What are some of the reasons that you've seen that people don't seek out mental health help? Yeah, I think the biggest one is probably the initial denial that there is a mental health concern. Growing up in a household of color. So my mom is black and my father's from Central America. And there was really no real discussion about mental health growing up. Like my mother Mm -hmm. also raised us (laughs) as Christian and my dad is Catholic. So there was always this idea of like, pray about this sort of thing. And I oftentimes look back on that and hear from even other families where, and I'm wholeheartedly still a spiritual person by all means, 
But I think for the most part, there is like sort of some denial in certain communities, especially thinking about cultural groups, where it's like, this is not tied to me as a person, but it's tied to something else, like maybe this external factor that happened. And if we just keep faith, this thing will go away. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, as we know, mental health conditions, like sometimes you can't, like there are stressor related conditions that are called like adjustment disorders. And as the stressor ends, so does the mental health symptoms, but things like depression, anxiety, especially when they reach a level that as a clinician, I'm concerned about this individual being able to go on throughout their life and daily functioning. That's not something that's just going to go away. Mm -hmm. I think another factor, some of the obvious things are financial means being un or underinsured that's a huge barrier for a lot of families. And even though there are tons, well, I shouldn't say tons, there are a number of sliding scale or free mental health services. Most of the time they have wait lists. I mean, even places that offer fee for service, mental health services, they also have wait lists. And so that just indicates that there's not enough capacity to be able to address the needs of the community. Other reasons why some different myths about what it means to go get care. So a lot of negative connotations around that, like, oh, you're crazy. Only crazy people need help, which is totally not true. Like I often emphasize to people that it's probably best to go get mental health services when you're doing well. So you can maintain (laughs) yourself doing well and have the tips and tools to be able to support yourself and build up that self-efficacy when stressors do come about. And I think a large one, too, that doesn't get talked about enough is just distrust of systems of care. So the historical abuse that has happened to a lot of communities of color thinking specifically about African-American communities, Latino communities and Native American communities, there is this long trajectory of historical abuse within systems of care. So why would you want to go? When I was working in Texas, a lot of the families wanted care, but they were also afraid that their immigration status would be outed when they went to go receive care, which was another huge barrier. So thinking about just, I guess, from a historical lens of this country and the way that things have been set up to disenfranchise certain communities, that is still really prevalent today with receiving Mm -hmm. mental health care. Oh my gosh. Like, you know how you know something, but what you just said just really hit the nail on the head, especially about the distrust of systems of care. Because I know personally at a time in my life where I was like, I'm not going to seek mental health because I don't trust the doctors. They don't really care about me, right? Because Mm -hmm. of either things I'd experienced or people that I love or know have experienced. And so that boils down to that trust, right? You also talked about the denial and just praying about it because I say all the time, I recommend you have Jesus and a therapist, right? Because yes, yes, you know, God is the healer. He can do all things, but that's also why he created opportunities for women like you to be in this space, to help us to deal with things that concern our mental health. Because I say something along the lines of, Yes, if you have a heart condition, you're going to pray, but you're also going to go see your cardiologist. Why do we treat mental health as it's not as important, right? And so Absolutely. I love that you shared that as well as the, the financial piece, the under or uninsured, 
just you helped me connect so many different dots and you know outside of just the stigma that oh I'm crazy if I go see a therapist but also that maintenance right like I too Mm -hmm. am advocating because I know how I've gone to seek therapy in the middle of a crisis and how I realized how important it was for me to maintain that therapy after the crisis was averted or dealt with for coping mechanisms, you know, interfamily communications, like everybody in my house Mm -hmm. has a therapist, right? Which is amazing. Yeah. And I'm (laughs) thankful for that because it's been such a great tool for me to be able to show up and do what I do in the personal development and corporate spaces. And so I just love that you shared all of them. As I think about the last one that you talked about, which is that distrust for systems of care, how do we repair that? What can we do in helping people to rebuild that trust? Especially as we think about it in Chicago with you working specifically, I know you do a lot of work with the victims of gun violence, right? Mm -hmm. Our people typically, one, they don't trust the police, right? And then they don't trust healthcare. And so how do we fix that? And I know you may not know all the answers, but what are you doing in that respect? And I'm gonna stop talking and let you answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there are a few things that can be done, right? And with Shy, that's part of my goal of like leveraging these community relationships. So if you already have a strong and foundational relationship with someone in a community, you're more likely to trust them and listen to them versus me, right? You just met me as your clinician. You're not going to trust me immediately and nor do I expect you to. So leveraging relationships with the community members to say, okay, how can you slowly give them information to debunk myths that they've heard over time and build these relationships? But some other things that can be done is to empower people to interview their providers. I do that with my family all the time, especially when they're looking for a therapist. I empower them to create a list of questions that would make you feel comfortable working with this individual. And it doesn't have to be limited to just a therapist, a primary care physician, a dentist, whomever. Like if they have certain criteria that they look for in a doctor that would make them feel like their doctor is listening to them and actually providing thorough care add those lists of questions there. But also maybe sometimes there is a need for a cultural match and doing some research around that. I also too wholeheartedly rely on reviews for people and I encourage others to look at reviews of different providers to see, okay, what was this person's experience like? I don't use that at face value, but it's something I do Mm -hmm. take into account when I want to work with someone. And so I think by empowering individuals to take a lead in their own care. They might not be experts in medicine or in mental health, but they're the expert of themselves. And no one can tell you more about you than you. So utilizing that to your advantage so that you can start to build trust within systems. And also don't be afraid to say no, like I want a second opinion from someone else. Like you don't have to take what anyone provides to you, like especially diagnosis. I'm always telling clients like, hey, ask questions about what Mm -hmm. this means. And if you disagree with what it means, don't be afraid to let me know what you feel, because again, you're the expert of you. And so being more courageous, I would say to know that you can do these things and it won't have any backlash can be really pivotal to starting to trust systems of care once you recognize that, hey, I met a provider that seems to care just about my health, as much about my health as I care about my health. 
this is the person that I want to work with. This is so good. And I'm smiling and nodding and jotting down because these are the tips that I didn't even realize I'm already giving, right? To the people that Mm -hmm. I love. Because for me, when I first started therapy, it wasn't a match. And I didn't know how to say no. And I didn't know if it was okay to go and look for another therapist. And so just the fact of helping us to know, yes, we can interview them, but we don't have to stop at just our therapist. Yes, your dentist, you know, your lady doctor, your family Mm -hmm. doctor, and making sure that you feel seen, you feel heard, right? That is so huge. But also by doing the research and finding a cultural match, right? Like I was talking to a good friend yesterday and talking about utilizing EAP services. Of course, you know me coming from the HR space and understanding (laughs) how beneficial that is, especially for mental health and getting a list of those physicians or those therapists that, you know, fit what it is that you need, whether that be man, woman, race, ethnicity, those different things and being willing to at least, like you said, interview, but also checking out those reviews because you review everything else. If you're reviewing where you're going to go eat, if you're Mm -hmm. reviewing where to buy a car. It's okay for you to review your therapist because the one that I have now, please believe I did all kinds of reviews, right? (laughs) Or I looked at the different reviews and saw the issues too that she helped people with. So I think Mm -hmm. us really taking that lead is so important and rebuilding that trust to reduce the barriers of access outside of the financial pieces. So, oh, thank you for sharing that. I love it. Absolutely. What I love to do is, Since we're talking about trauma in and of itself and healing and rebuilding trust, can you share a couple of tips with us on what are some steps we can take to start to heal from our trauma? And even in recognizing, you know, maybe that we have normalized it, right? Because trauma shows up in so many different ways. I guess this is a two part. What are some traumas that we don't maybe even call or recognize as traumas? And how do we start the process of healing from that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start off by saying this, like if everything is trauma, then nothing is trauma. But if nothing (laughs) is trauma, then everything is trauma. So it's really dependent, right? A traumatic event can be classified as anything. Like even I think a lot of people don't take into account, like hearing stories of something traumatic can be traumatic. And that's where it goes back to thinking about educators or other individuals who are working with people on a consistent basis. Like even you, Nicole, like you probably hear some really intimate stories from individuals that if you don't really take the time to like process it, like you're probably thinking about it before you go to bed or you're thinking about it like some days later, like, wow, I heard this really powerful story that really stuck with me. And once it starts to impact how you feel, like if you're noticing, okay, I can't even sleep because I'm still thinking about this story, or I'm starting to feel really sad because of the story. For all our empaths out there, this is you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so that is something I think that we don't talk enough about, about it having an effect on us and could be potentially traumatic. Mm -hmm. Also, things like bullying. People don't really consider bullying as an act of trauma, I think, in more recent years due to the unfortunate circumstance, losing a lot of young people to suicide as a result of bullying, it has become brought to the forefront a little bit more. But also too, the COVID-19 pandemic was traumatic, is traumatic. (laughs) And that's a collective trauma that we're all enduring that a lot of people don't even know that this is something traumatic. Like it has really ruptured 
our sense of normalcy in our day to day. Like I remember for the longest, like I would leave the house without a mask mistakenly. And I would feel like I was walking out topless or something because mm-hmm. I didn't like, that's how shaken up I was about leaving home Listen. without my mask. Yeah. And so thinking about all of those things in context of trauma, like this has really impacted us and we can't do the same things that we used to do without maybe having this thought in the back of our mind. Like people joke a lot of times about hearing someone cough or sneeze. Like we have this immediate response. (gasps) Is it COVID, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so think about this in our day-to-day and how it has impacted us. It has definitely served as this sense of collective trauma. So one of the things I think is really beneficial with healing from trauma is starting to talk about it not necessarily talking about it with just anyone or like just walking up to people like, hey, let me tell you about my trauma, but finding people that you feel comfortable with and safe with that you trust to start talking about it. Because a lot of traumas, especially thinking about think cases of domestic violence or sexual abuse, those are things that a lot of people internalize for years because they're ashamed to admit that these things happen to them. But What I like to empower people to know is that, yes, this is something that happened to you, but not a reflection of who you are as a person. And talking about it is a great first step to be able to heal from it. Because a lot of exposure therapies for trauma really focuses on the piece of reducing the emotional reaction to the trauma by having some exposure to the traumatic event itself. And so you don't have to go to therapy. I mean, it's great to go to therapy for trauma, especially if you're noticing that it's causing some impact in your life. But thinking about just the power of talking about it alone, you can also journal to some of the things that are still impacting you. But also I am a huge proponent of getting on YouTube and pulling up mindfulness videos on there for clients of mine. I'll do them with them. I also released like these three family-friendly activities that also included doing like simple things like post-it notes around the house with affirmations and things to keep you going on a daily basis, like making it a family activity. That's something else that can be really healing and powerful and maybe centering some of those affirmation statements around healing from your trauma. Like I'm stronger than this, like things of that nature, or this was something that happened to me. It is not me. And I'm able to overcome it, like really boosting your own self-efficacy to be able to know also, hey, I can get through this. I'm just nodding and agreeing and smiling over here. I realized I was muted, so you couldn't hear. (laughs) (laughs) But so, so good. Like, I think just first and foremost, recognizing the array of traumatic experiences that we encounter on a daily basis. And I wrote down something that you said, and I think this is probably going to stick with me and the listeners. You said trauma is typically when we have a ruptured sense of normalcy in our day-to-day life, right? So I Mm -hmm. think about the example you use. You used to take the bus all the time, but because of that incident, that ruptured your sense of normalcy. And so when you think about the varying degrees of things that occur from hearing a traumatic story, like you said from something that you may experience at school, bullying, or even a teacher calling on you when you weren't paying attention, like our trauma is going to be individualistic. But even those collective things like COVID, like you mentioned, I still walk in the store and feel weird if I don't have a mask. And it's because it's shaped the normalcy of 
how we deal with things from day to day. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, being able to heal from that, it's a process, it's a journey. And I love the tips that you gave. So you mentioned the mindfulness videos. I am a huge person who listens to those things, right? So I have mindfulness during the day while I'm working, just playing in the background, mindfulness meditation while I'm going to sleep. I'm a huge advocate for journaling as well. I probably have more journals than I'll ever use in my entire life, but (laughs) it's something about writing is that physical, it's releasing that physical absolutely, um, and journaling through that. But then you also talk about affirmations and I know you probably can't see, but my vision board is like over in here and I update my affirmations on a quarterly basis right? That's awesome. I love it. Because it's helpful, right? Like even in things that I struggle with, you know, I struggle with confidence from time to time. So I have affirmations on there that do not leave about how I am confident, courageous, and bold. Because depending on the situation, whether I'm going to speak in front of 20 people or 200 people, right? There are feelings that bubble up. And even Mm -hmm. thinking about trauma, when you're exposed to unhealthy relationships, there's so much trauma that comes from that. And so I constantly reaffirm that I am deserving of healthy, happy, and whole relationships, right? Because when you are consistently exposed to that, because I don't think that I shared with you, but I have throughout the podcast, I saw domestic violence in my home. I was in a domestically violent relationship. And even sometimes when we work in these toxic work environments, they feel like domestic violence, And we have to unlearn that. And so when we think about healing from it holistically, these affirmations are essentially giving us permission to heal from that and helping us along the way. But I think more than anything, having a therapist has been one of the major ways that has helped me heal from trauma that I didn't even realize I had. And seeing my therapist on a routine basis, again, not just for crisis management, but every day she gets tired of me. I'm like, so (laughs) can you just book me through the rest of the year? Because (laughs) it's this relationship that you build, you know? So I love it. Yeah. And there's this thing that you mentioned about going to therapy that made me think of something else where I think a lot of people think like, oh, I don't need to go to therapy because they're just going to tell me things that I already know how to do. And say it again. (laughs) There's a a huge push for this. And even though some things may seem simplistic on the outside in terms of therapy, there are various different techniques that therapists use to really empower you to go out and do the work. Because I like to think of therapy as like a mentor or coach in some way where They can provide you with all the support, but you have to do that work outside of therapy to be able to get to a place of healing that you want to reach. So I'll end with saying that. Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful for you coming on the show and helping and just all the work that you're doing. And I love that you brought your work back to Chicago, right? To help. Yes. Um, It was so so needed. It is. It's needed. And so... I would love for you to share with everyone how they can find you if they need to get in touch with you, all of those different things. And of course, I'll include it in the show notes, but we need you. So thank you for what you do and share with us how we can can get in contact with you. Well, thank you for what you do too, because you're clearly providing a lot of powerful information to the masses. So thank you for doing so. You can reach me on my website, creatinghealinginterventions.com or on Instagram at shy underscore psych consult. 
And I'm also on LinkedIn too. So find Creating Healing Interventions on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with anyone, answer questions, whatever the case may be. Like, this is my passion. I love doing this. This sounds weird when I say I love trauma, but I do. <laughs> like, I love to be able to see a difference in the people that I connect with. Yeah, it's the impact, right? The impact mm-hmm. and seeing them on the other side of that. So yes, absolutely. This will not be our first or last connection together. So I hope not. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. We are in the same city. So we have to at least meet up for lunch, brunch, something. But again, thank you for being part of the show. I do want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask everybody before I get you out of here. I know you have some stuff to do. So I typically ask everyone these three questions because it's interesting just to see the variation in answers. So if you're okay, I'll fire them off. Go ahead. So the first one is, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with the 17-year-old version of yourself, I know, I see that face, (laughs) and give her one piece of advice. And one piece of advice only, what would it be and why? Ooh, thinking back to it, this is such a funny story that I won't even go into right now, but I'm totally different than how I am right now. When I was 17, but I would tell my 17-year-old self that you're more than capable of doing whatever you want to, despite with people who should be leading you down the path of excellence are telling you. That's good. Because at 17, like we're still so impressionable right? Absolutely. And so many of us have similar but different versions of this story. So I love that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So for the second one, because we're on the Flow and Flourish podcast, tell me something you do on a regular basis to make sure that you are managing your capacity so that you can show up in excellence and flow and flourish both personally and professionally. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny that my friend had like months ago introduced me to this book called The Ancestor Said or something like that. It's like 365 days out the year and it gives an affirmation for every single day. And I literally start my morning by waking up, making my cup of coffee, and I sit down and read and digest whatever that affirmation is for the day. And that really helps me because it, for some reason, it just feels like it always hits home. Like every single day I read, I'm just like, oh my God, this is the word that I needed today. (laughs) Thank you. But with me incorporating that into my morning and using it as like this meditation source and guide, it may be 300 and some meditations or affirmations, whatever it's called. But anyways, Mm -hmm. I can send it to you afterwards. Yeah, I'll ask you for it so I can link to it. (laughs) Yeah. But I literally, ever since I started using this a few months back, has been a source of rejuvenation and has really helped to set a positive tone for every single day. And I have not steered away from this routine at all. Like it's literally my daily routine. Coffee, while coffee's brewing, read my daily meditation, sit with it, and then go on about my day. Mm, I love it. It's crazy how they seem so small, but they're so significant, how they set the tone for our day and how they're always on point, right? Like Mm -hmm. It's like, Lord, you know, I needed this today, huh? Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Literally my conversation with him every single morning. I'm just like, oh, thank you. Gosh, (laughs) I I love it. Right. (laughs) And so the last one is just, you know, you have given us such a wealth of information. We've talked about so many things. What is the one thing that you want the listeners to walk away knowing, thinking, or feeling as a result of our time together? Yeah, I know we did discuss a lot, but probably the biggest thing would be that healing is possible. And no matter what part of the healing stage you're in, 
you can definitely come out on the other side and get back to the self that you used to be or get to a place where you're the self that you want to be. Come on and preach then, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, wasn't that a good episode? And I'm sure for many of you who are listening, it was timely because so many of us are walking around with unhealed trauma and it's impacting our capacity, our ability to show up and be fully present, to deal with relationships, to function in various areas of our lives in so many ways. I really, really, and truly hope that in listening to this episode, you take the first step in healing from your trauma and learning how to regain or even gain trust as you seek help. I tell you all the time, I have Jesus and a therapist, and I'm always gonna recommend that you do too. It's part of the process in being able to have the capacity mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, even in how we spend our money that's impacted, whether you know it or not, by trauma. And because there are so many types of trauma, it's important that you work with a trained professional to help you navigate through that. So many of you listening are the ones in your personal and professional lives, right? So you're leading by example. I know even for me, me stepping out and getting therapy encouraged my siblings to do so. It encouraged coworkers to do so. It has even encouraged some of my clients as well. So I hope that you were able to take notes on recognizing what happens when we don't heal from trauma, understanding what trauma looks like or how it can show up in the various ways in our lives, as well as take advantage of the key tips that Lauren gave us when we're really trying to incorporate therapy into our lives. You know I'm gonna have this in the show notes as well. So if you didn't take notes, then you are okay. And of course, please make sure you go follow Dr. Lauren Smith and let her know how this episode has blessed you and make sure you're sharing it with other people that need to hear it too. And while you are keeping that same energy, please make sure that you go in and rate and review the podcast, subscribe so that you don't miss a beat, and come on and talk to me on the social media channels too. I'm friendly, y'all. As for our next episode coming out in two weeks, I'm going to be talking all about forgiveness. Yes, so it's if forgiveness is something that you struggle with, whether it is forgiving yourself forgiving the people around you, then this is an episode that you don't want to miss. Until then, I pray that you have an amazing week. I hope that your summer is off to a good start, although I know summer isn't officially until what, mid-June, but my babies are out of school starting next week. So for me, it is summer time. Thank you so much for being such a faithful listener, for talking to me, for continuing to show up for yourselves. And I thank you as always for allowing me to be your capacity coach and helping you to create balance between your personal and professional life without ever having to sacrifice yourself, your family, and what matters to you most. Talk to you soon.